Welcome in to another edition of the WISports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, your host for the WSN podcast, general manager at WISports.net, also our football writer, and we are almost ready to get some hitting going on between players from other teams. We don't have games this week quite yet, but this weekend, mostly on Friday, the scrimmages will take place around the state of Wisconsin, anywhere from two to four teams generally scrimmage in the same location, and they get to go against somebody else. They don't get to, uh, they don't have to hit their own teammates over and over like they do in practice. It's, it's always a good time to get out and hit somebody different than what you're used to doing. With the scrimmages coming this week, it means that we are only just over a week away from the first high school football games of the 2019 season. A number of games on Thursday of next week, and then of course most of them on Friday, as it is almost here. Can you, can you feel it? Can you smell it in the air? Can you feel the, uh, the weather turning just a little bit, cooling down a little? Starting to feel like late summer, early fall. Starting to feel like high school football. Just over a week away from the first games. As we continue to get ready for the 2019 season, as you have probably seen on Wisports.net, we've continued to crank out uh, conference previews for every conference around the state. We're uh, about two-thirds of the way through, and we'll wrap up the rest of them here in the next week or so, uh, leading up to the start of the season on, on Thursday of next week. Starting to get into some of the larger conferences in terms of number of teams. Um, I kind of put those put those off towards the end. Um, and uh, yeah, so getting down to the end of some of that uh, preseason work that we do to to get things going. Also, you uh, may have seen earlier this week that we asked a, a poll question on, on WSN uh, regarding who you think will win the state titles this year. We've done that every year for the past uh, number of seasons and uh, kind of throw out the uh, the top 10 in each division based on our off-season rankings that we did. And it's always fun to go through and see who the fans think will uh, will win it all and um, you know maybe compare it at the end of the season. Uh, if we go through that quickly, uh, the, the poll that we did, which is open still a couple days, it's, it's open until Friday at noon, um, in Division One, maybe a little bit of a surprise there is the majority of the votes are going to Kimberly, who finished as the state runner-up last year. Muskego has the second most votes, but it's still only about half the number that Kimberly has received. Thought maybe the defending Division One state champion Muskego Warriors would get a little more love there. In Division Two, uh, not surprisingly. Wanakee, Homestead, and Brookfield Central have gotten the lion's share of the votes, with Wanakee getting the most so far. Um, Wanakee is uh, obviously one of the top programs in the state and, and is a very consistent contender for a deep playoff run. But they've got some pretty significant graduation losses this year, especially on offense. Uh, also lost their leading rusher from last year, Will Ross, who uh, is a senior now but suffered an injury in baseball over the summer, and he is out for a considerable amount of time, potentially the uh, the whole year, but we'll see how that goes. In Division Three, Catholic Memorial running away 
with the voting in Division Three, the defending state champions. Not surprising there. Division Four is always kind of a wild card, and uh, the folks down at Edgerton have really gotten behind their Crimson Tide and and voted and voted and voted, voted early, voted often, as Edgerton has uh, almost twice as many votes as anyone else in Division Four, a division that has traditionally been pretty wide open and difficult to predict. In Division Five, St. Mary Springs dominating the voting there. That's not a surprise. Some good support for Stratford and Amherst. Lake Country Lutheran not far behind either. Division Six, a, a pretty wide open uh, Division Six grouping. As we take a look at the uh, the voting, uh, five teams, you know, pretty close together in terms of the fan vote for winning a Division Six title. Lancaster actually leads the way, although they could end up in Division Five this year at the end of the season. Mineral Point is second. We're seeing Lutheran. Uh, in there as well. Defending champion Iola Scandinavia is actually third in the voting. Regis has gotten pretty good support as well. So uh, Division 6 looking very deep, very balanced, and very strong, especially in the eyes of the uh, the fans out there. Division 7, Bangor, Blackhawk, and Edgar have ruled that division the last few years is, is a pretty unquestioned top three, and they're the top three in the voting as of right now. Uh, with Edgar leading the way currently, Blackhawk second, and Bangor third. Eight-player football, last year's uh, first-ever official WIAA state title game participants leading the way. Newman Catholic, a slight edge over Luck in the eight-player vote for state champions. So again, there is a little bit of time left there if you do want to get in and cast your vote on who you think will win championships in each division. You can head on over to wisports.net, find that under the football news tab with voting left open until Friday at noon. With uh, you know, with the season coming up, uh, I, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast necessarily. You've uh, maybe seen some things online that we've done regarding rule changes for this year um, because there are a few that are uh, pretty significant, I think. Um, and, and I think will have an impact on the game and, and how it goes. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Uh, we're going to bring in a special guest, Rich Fraunheiser, the uh, Trailways Conference Commissioner. He's the Athletic Director at Randolph and a WIA White Hat official. Um, going to come in and, and talk to us a little bit about what some of those rule changes mean. And uh, by the way, he is actually this week out in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, where he is uh, umpiring in the Little League World Series. So we recorded the interview with Rich uh, a couple days ago, and uh, really some great insight on what some of these rule changes are going to mean. Uh, Before we get to that, though, just uh, kind of a few housekeeping type of items. Again, still some conference previews coming out on Wisports.net in the the next week or so. Uh, Beginning uh, Monday of next week, you can uh, keep an eye out for our Senior Football Awards, the watch list that will be released for those. And uh, we'll have that at, at all of the positions. Um, the watch lists are, uh, again, just a kind of a, hey, here's some of the top players, top seniors type of thing. Um, vary anywhere from 40 to 50 maybe, all the way up to, for instance, the offensive line list is always very big and, and sometimes gets up near or over 100 kids on that list. Um And uh, we'll whittle that down halfway through the year. We'll get down to a list of 15 to 20 semifinalists halfway through the year. 
after week one of, uh, excuse me, level one of the playoffs, we'll announce the five, usually five, sometimes six or eight, depending on the position and strength of that position, finalists for the award, with the winners selected the week of the state finals and announced the week of the state finals. So keep an eye out for the uh, WSN Senior Football Awards coming next week. Again, uh, we'll have the uh, conference previews continuing over the next week or so. Next week, we kind of get into our regular cadence of uh, football weekly content that we'll have, where we'll have um, the uh, list of radio and TV streams that you can find out there. We'll have uh, a, a weekly preview. Every Wednesday, we do a, uh, an eight-player uh, specific preview as well. So going to be uh, a busy couple of weeks, a week and a half or so, as we gear up to those first games next Thursday and uh, next weekend of the high school football season. And as promised, we are going to dig into a few rule changes this year that are coming for high school football, most notably a change that will uh, align high school football with college and the NFL and institute a 40-second play clock as opposed to a 25-second play clock. And to break that down for what that will mean for the game, what it will mean for officials, what it will mean for coaches having to adjust to that, uh, we will bring in a, an expert on the subject, Rich Fraunheiser, a longtime official in the WIAA, also the Trailways Conference Commissioner, also the new Randolph Athletic Director. Uh, Rich, uh, definitely appreciate you joining us. Thanks for coming on the WSN podcast here. Oh, thanks for having me, Travis. So if you could give us the uh, kind of the Cliff Notes version of what the rule is, what that change is in regards to a 40-second play clock, uh, kind of break it down for, for folks to understand as, as simply as possible. Sure. Um, and, you know, in previous years, uh, we had a 25-second play clock before every play, and that clock would be started by the referee, the white hat on the crew. So once the ball was spotted, uh, once the officials were all in position or, or near in position, the referee would blow his whistle and chop to start the 25-second play clock. Here in Wisconsin, we don't have visual play clocks on any of our high school fields. So the back judge, who is the, the deepest official on the defensive side of the ball, would start a timer when the referee chopped the 25-second clock. Um, and, and what that meant was that... Um, it really wasn't that consistent from crew to crew. So, you know, if, if a crew had a very fast pace, it might mean that it would take, you know, six to eight seconds to get a ball down after, after a play ended, the referee would chop quickly. So a team might only have 31 seconds to get a playoff. Um, or if there was maybe a long pass downfield, or if a ball got fumbled or if the, the crew was uh, slower and, and, uh, Having watched a lot of videos as a, as a conference commissioner, there were a fair number of crews that um, were fast. There were a fair number of crews that were slow. Um, it would slow the pace of the game down. So teams would go from one week to the next, and the time between plays wasn't consistent. So the 40-second play clock, uh, the goal of that is that it takes the officials and their pace completely out of the process. So um, the play ends. As soon as the play ends, we start a 40-second play clock. And there are exceptions to that where we'll still use a 25-second play clock. But typically, if a play ends and there's going to be another play right after that, um, the back judge will immediately, uh, the, the whistle will blow, the covering official will raise a hand, 
and the back judge will immediately start that 40-second play clock. And the referee is out of the process. The referee doesn't have to blow the whistle, doesn't have to chop the play in. Um, the teams know that they have 40 seconds between plays, and as soon as the ball spotted and the officials are in position, the offensive team can snap the football. When the 40-second uh, play clock was announced uh, earlier this year, what was your initial reaction? Did you view it as a positive? Did you view it as a, uh, a potential challenge? How did you look at it when it uh, was announced there? Um, I, I think I thought it was about time, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I always thought of it as a, a real issue that there were some crews that were faster than other crews, and I, I think that what that did was it, it made it so that uh, the officials were more dictating the pace of a game than the teams and the players were dictating the pace of the game. So my, my first reaction was that it was about time. Now, the, the caveat here is I have worked with a 40-second play clock before. I, I worked college football for a few years, and um, so I, I had experience with it, and I, I liked it there. Um, other people probably felt differently, but I, I think that um, – you know, as you and I mentioned before we came on, there were, there are states that have, have trialed this for a number of years, and uh, um, you know, they 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 the federation just doesn't make changes that are this big without um, reaching out to states or having states volunteer to implement this statewide for a few years before it becomes a nationwide change. And there were four states that actually have been running this for the last few years, um, so. I think it's well thought out. I think it's I think it's a great change for football. And, and what we have to do now is we just have to educate folks and both, both officials, coaches, um, and, and the general public and the media as well. Um, but I think it'll be a really good change. And my reaction was that it was just wholly positive, and um, now we just have to implement it. You mentioned education and, and getting everybody on the same page. Is that the biggest challenge with the uh, 42nd play clock is just getting everybody used to it? Or what other challenges do come with a 42nd play clock? Um, I think the first challenge was technical. Um, you know, we, we all had timers that um, our back judge would wear a timer around his waist and it's a very special timer um, that is programmed to give a vibration five seconds before the end of the 25-second play clock. So um, most crews that use that timer, um, um, and, and again, uh, it's not a required piece of equipment. There are crews that still will use a wristwatch or, or some other mechanism, but um, you know, most of the top crews will have a, a what's called either a ready ref or, or a, a similar timer that that's, uh, you just touch it on your waist and it starts and vibrates. Um, so, so we had to go buy new ones, um, or if they were recently purchased, they could be reprogrammed. So that, that was a technical side. Um, but that's minor. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that happens once and then we move on. Uh, the education side of it is, is, is learning how to officiate to this. So what are our roles and how do they change going forward? Uh, the back judge needs to be prepared to not wait for that, um, you know, wait for that whistle from the referee has to be aware that at the end of every play now, he's going to have to reach, he or she's going to have to reach to the waist and, and it's going to have to start that clock. And it's going to have to be consistent doing that at the end of each play. Um, one thing we're going to implement this year as well. And, you know, this is something that we're trying to get out through various communication. Um, uh, the, the video that, that the state provided had this and as part of the PowerPoint presentation, um, Instead of just chopping the last five seconds of the clock now, at the last 10 seconds of the clock, the back judge is going to raise a hand straight up in the air. 
Um, just like a, a dead ball signal now that we're going to use to end the play, just like what a basketball referee would, would do to call time. Um, hand straight up, and then the last five seconds, we're going to count like we always did, um, like a basketball count. So it's going to be a, a change mechanically for the officials. Um, I think what the teams have to realize is that um, they can move at whatever pace they want to move. So defenses have to be aware of that. Offenses have to be aware of that. The one thing we're not going to do, though, is we're not going to let uh, things fall apart where we don't have officials in position. Um, you know, it's going to be a lot like college football where we're going to put a ball down, but maybe the umpire is going to stand over the ball until that back judge is back in position or that other football that was, you know, thrown deep and incomplete is off the field. Um, we have to make sure that we still maintain control of the game uh, so that, uh, you know, things don't fall apart on the field. So we're going to, we're going to hustle. We're not going to hurry. Um, but, but, but most of all, I think the pace is going to be dictated more by the teams now and less by, less by the officials. And I think that's a really good thing. You mentioned uh, the idea that you have watched games that have been officiated at very different paces. Uh, as you said, some, some crews move very quickly and have the ball down quickly. Some crews are, are a little bit slower, and I, I have seen crews, I'm sure you have as well, where not only is it uh, you know kind of a slow pace to get the ball in, get the ball spotted, but then the, uh, the official, the white hat, as you said, um, you know, would still take several seconds after all of that was completed to, uh, to get the clock started. Um, overall, do you think like, do you think this will speed up the game? Uh, do you think the 40 second play clock will result in a couple more plays a game potentially? I think it could, um, you know, the one thing I've noticed as a, you know, I've, I've, I've refereed, I'm, I'm the white hat on our crew and I've done that for, you know, over 20 years. So um, I've dictated the, you know, my, my pace has always been fast. So um, the one thing I've noticed is that teams adjust to the officials. Um, we, we don't throw delay of game flags, even though we're fast. Um, you know, we get the ball down. I chop the clock in and teams adjust to that. Even the teams where they have the quarterback run, you know, to the sideline to get a play and then run back to the middle of the field, um, which, which would be another good conversation, I think. But, uh, you know, even teams that do that um, tend to adjust to the pace and they get the plays off in time. Um, and I think that teams will adjust to this. Um, you know, the ball's available and they can snap it. Um, teams that tend to huddle, teams that tend to um, – even teams that go to the line and then get a play called in, I don't know how much it's going to change things. Um, I think it will change things in the games where the crews are very slow because I, I think what happens in those games, um, the, the teams play off of the, the pace of the officials. Um, if the officials are slow and they slow the game down, I think sometimes the teams slow the game down as well. Sometimes that can be a good thing and sometimes that can be a bad thing. Um, but I think that, I think that it will, it will um, cause things to be a lot more consistent. Uh, some teams may run more plays, some teams may not, but at least from a from an officiating and from a, a game administration standpoint, I think that it'll be a lot more consistent across the state. We're talking with Rich Fraunheiser, longtime WIA official, conference commissioner for the Trailways Conference, and also the new athletic director at Randolph High School, uh, talking about the 40-second play clock. And you mentioned something earlier in regards to a visual play clock. As you said, that's not something that we have in the state of Wisconsin. 
Is that something that you would like to see at least as an option available for teams that either have that already, maybe play at a college facility or would like to implement it? Um, is that something that would be beneficial, do you think? Um, I know what the state's position is on it, that, that um, you know, we do not turn those clocks on ever. Um, you know, I, I think it's fr- I think it's a consistency standpoint. Um, I, I see that I see that there's um, there are good sides to that. Right. Um, you know, you uh, you don't want to have one game played where, you know, you have to rely on the back judge and then you have another game where you have uh, play clocks that are turned on. Um, it is the kind of thing where as an official, I would I would be the happiest person in the world if we had play clocks at every field. But but just like shot clocks in basketball, um, there's a, there's a significant cost to putting those in place, and I, I know they're not coming. So, um, yeah, I mean, if if I had the clocks and we were allowed to use them, it would be great because it would it would take it would take a function away from the back judge. And you know, with only five officials on the field, the back judge has a lot to do in terms of uh, you know cleaning up plays and dead ball officiating, and uh, you know, taking that function away from you know the the actual mechanics of it um you know you we'd still have to watch that the the play clock operator did the right things but it would be it would be a positive to be able to uh you know to not have to do that on the field certainly the 40 second play clock got the most attention when the rules changes were announced earlier this year but there was another one that uh caught a lot of people's attention i think had a lot of confusion with it initially i I don't think that there is there is as much confusion anymore, but there was a a little bit of a change in almost more of a mechanic of how officials uh, deal with and count a legal scrimmage formation. Um, could you just take us through that real quick? What the change was, what it means, and does it seem like that's still kind of a confusion point, not only amongst officials but also amongst coaches? Um. The Federation, I think, finally caught up to other levels of football where, um, you know, up until this this year, we've had to penalize teams for illegal formations when they um, when they didn't have seven on the line um, and they only had 10 on the field. So, you know, a team uh, typically in a a punt formation, you know, a team would either uh, a punting team wouldn't, uh, you know, the punting team wouldn't get a kid on and uh, they'd only have 10 on the field. And we count on every play. So, you know, I'm as a referee, I'm counting the offense along with the umpire. The back judge is counting the uh, defense along with the wing officials. Um, so we're making sure that we have 11 on every play. So we count 10 and then we see that there's four backs and that means there's only six on the line. And up until the rule change, that was an illegal formation. So, you know, we'd be flagging this even though, um, having one fewer player on the line actually put the the, the punting team at a disadvantage. Um, so so the new rule essentially says that um, as long as there's five on the line of scrimmage, five players on the line of scrimmage, um, then all we have to do is count the backs. Um, we have to have a, we can't have more than eleven on the field. But if there aren't more than four backs in the backfield, um, it's not a foul. So. If, if they've come out with nine players and they have five on the line and four in the backfield, that's a legal play now. And uh, frankly, it's quite easier because as soon as um, myself and the umpire count that we have 11, all the wing officials need to do is just count the number of backs. Um, if there are four in the backfield or fewer, we have a legal play and we can go. Um, if there's five in the backfield, that's illegal. And 
It makes it a lot easier to administer from an officiating standpoint. And when you look at it that way, it becomes a lot simpler. Um, we're not going to have these formation. You know, they tried to eliminate a lot of these re-kicks um, last year by by the tack on foul, um, where you know you can take the five yard penalty at the end of the kick or the end of the play now instead of uh, instead of going back and replaying fourth down. Um, nothing good comes when you punt and then you have to go back and punt again. Um, you know, a lot of injuries happen on special teams. And at the higher levels, they're trying to take these re-kicks and these multiple kicks out of the game. And, and they, they tried to address that last year. Um, but there were still situations where we'd have to go back and re-kick. And, and, you know, this will eliminate some of those. A couple other uh, rule changes that were uh, designed to uh, reduce the risk of injury expanded uh, the horse collar tackle rule to not only include the inside of the uh, jersey or pads, but also the nameplate area. Grabbing that nameplate and pulling a player down is now a penalty as a horse collar. And then uh, made tripping the runner a uh, a foul as well. Any significant impact you think those will have, or is it just a, a once every X number of games thing that'll come up? Well, um, again, these are pulled from the higher levels of football. The nameplate's already been a foul at the higher levels for years now, and uh, Tripping a runner is was a uh, was a high school only thing that you could do. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's personally, I'm I'm in favor of both of these. Um, personally, not that it not it matters much, but uh, um, the nameplate. Uh, what they're trying to do is they're trying to they're trying to eliminate the effect of being pulled backwards down um, on a tackle, and it's the it's the knees that get injured when that happens, and it was the whole point of the horse, the horse collar tackle rule to begin with. Um, so originally you had to get the hand inside the Jersey or the pads and you had to pull them directly down to the back or the side. Um, and the tackle has to be from the horse collar action itself. Um, so that, and that part of it doesn't change with the new rule, but, but what was happening was people were reaching for the nameplate and pulling, it was the same pulling backwards down effect from the Jersey, from the nameplate area. And, you know, we'd have people, uh, coaches that would rightly say, you know, that's, that's unsafe. That's a horse collar. And we'd have to tell them, no, by rule, that's not a horse collar tackle because the hand was not inside. Um, and now we have the support from the rule that it's a dangerous play. That's a foul. Um, what's still not a foul though, is if somebody grabs the nameplate, slows the runner down, and then he's tackled by some other means. Um, there are a lot of times we hear that that's a horse collar. It's not. It's uh, the foul is a horse collar tackle, not a horse collar. So the the actual tackle has to be done by the horse collar action, and uh, um, I think it's a good change. The tripping the runner, um, nothing goes. Nothing is good when um, somebody's allowed to leg whip someone to the ground. I think that's. Uh, I think everybody would be in agreement on that. And the exception was only for the runner that had the you know the player that had the football. Um, a lot of these tripping actions are, uh, you know, there's no other way to engage with the runner other than sticking a leg up and, you know, maybe not leg whipping, but tripping. And uh, the rules committee saw that as dangerous as well. So they've eliminated that. One more uh, topic before we let you go quickly here. Instant replay was approved by the NFHS and the WIAA as a state adoption uh, possibility for state playoff games only. The WIA has said that they are going to do that. Um, we haven't seen any 
uh, specific plans or implementation. But what was your reaction to the the allowance in, in likely uh, to be coming as early as this fall of instant replay uh, in Wisconsin, likely going to be only at the state finals at Madison? Uh, I'm in big favor of instant replay where it can be uh, intelligently implemented. Um, our goal as officials is to get plays right. And I would rather be overturned by replay than make a mistake that um, I have to eat and can't uh, can't re- can't fix and have that directly influence uh, you know either a series or or a game. Um, I I would I'm a big fan of instant replay when it's implemented uh, in an intelligent way. And have have you heard anything? I haven't heard anything lately on the actual implementation process, what the plans are, or anything like that. Um, I have not. I mean, I, I think that what happens, uh, you know, the, the the availability of instant replay depends on, I mean, the biggest thing it depends on is, is the number of camera angles that you have. Um, and, you know, they're going to have the most camera angles at the division, the, the, the power conference, division one football and, and the NFL. Um, I'm guessing we don't have as many camera angles at Camp Randall as they do. Um, so, you know, anything is going to be limited by the amount of views that are available to, um, you know, I don't know who's going to, like you said, the implementation hasn't been really communicated to us. So I don't know if it's going to be the referee looking at an iPad or um, if it's going to be somebody in a booth making the decision, uh, you know, for, for the, uh, the crew on the field. Um, But again, um, where it can correct things that are egregious errors that, um, you know, I know all of us make, um, we can't see everything that happens with, you know, five player, uh, five officials and 22 players. So we, we just have to be, um, we have to be bigger than our egos and um, accept that the getting the right outcome on a play is, is more important than, uh, you know, than our, than our egos. Rich Fraunheiser, longtime WI official, uh, athletic director at Randolph, also the commissioner of the Trailways Conference, has been our guest as we talk about some rule changes and specifically, especially the 40-second play clock this year. Rich, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, Hopefully we'll see you out at a game this fall. And uh, best of luck this fall. And and again, thanks for joining us on the WSN podcast. And, And thanks for having me, Travis. So there you have it, a really outstanding interview with Rich Fraunheiser on the rule changes coming to high school football this year, what they're going to mean for the coaches, for the teams, for the players, for the officials as well, and what they're going to mean for the flow of the game and how the game is going to be played. Uh, so keep an eye out at the games, especially early in the year, see if there's any Issues with uh, especially the 40-second play clock, uh, either getting reset properly, teams adjusting to it properly, um, you know, questions that might come up, any delay of game issues, etc. Um, I, as I said before, I, I think it's a good change, and I think it will standardize things, and I think uh, overall it will speed up the game a little bit. Um, certainly, there's some crews that have done that, uh, you know, gone at a, a good tempo already. And for those crews that haven't, this will kind of force them to, uh, to, to move a little bit quicker. So, again, great uh, conversation with Rich, who's out this week at the Little League World Series umpiring out there. You'll see him on TV at some point, I believe. Um, I don't know which games or, uh, or where he'll be officiating, what, what spot. But uh, if you watch any of that Little League World Series, you'll see him on ESPN in the next couple of weeks. 
So with uh, with that out of the way, our rules changes out of the way, we're going to uh, wrap this uh, this version of the Wisports.net podcast up and uh, move on and be back next week where we'll really dig into uh, the week one matchups, some of the, uh, the, the games that stand out in week one. Also, uh, just kind of review our senior watch list that came out and uh, anything else that uh, might come up in the next week or so here. Um, don't know if there's going to be any teams uh, you know, with low number issues that are going to have some problems uh, playing their week one or two game. Um, I don't know that we mentioned it last week, or I can't remember when it, it, it came out for sure, I guess, but Sturgeon Bay did announce um, that they were going to be dropping their varsity 11-player football schedule this year due to low numbers. Kind of a surprise for a school that has an enrollment over 400. While they have struggled quite a bit on the field the last couple seasons, that's a pretty big school to not be able to field a team. They are going to play a number of eight-player games this year, and uh, we'll see if they make that switch um, to eight-player football or if they uh, if they try to get back to 11-player next year and beyond. Um, but we'll keep uh, keep you updated on anything that might arise from uh, from that from any, uh, again, challenges that teams might be having to put a team on the field. Finally get to say it, uh, after several months of uh, no activity, no no action on the field, but uh, we'll, we will get out and see you at a game. This has been a WSN podcast. I'm Travis Wilson. We'll see you at a game. <laughs>